I like how just as it starts recording, my neighbor felt the need to rev their engine. Yeah, I was like, give us a whole count in and everything. Uh, hello, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Uh, it is the end of the month because it's my birth month and I was quote unquote doing things. Amanda was living life. Amanda was living life. Um, Tori, would you like to tell the audience about my recent pineapple-based purchase? It is it is stunningly gorgeous, and I feel like I need to post the video on to uh, Instagram. Do you like sparkles? Do you like glass-looking stuff? Amanda's got it for you in pineapple form. And it holds candles. And it holds candles, so it's even more sparkly when it's lit. I also got this amethyst shard bottle stopper for bottle stopper for wine. It's pretty magic. And I have an iridescent fishbowl for cocktails. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, this is this is also in the hall. Because I'm well adjusted. This is totally normal. Yeah, this is I don't have a problem. The face of someone who doesn't have a problem. <laughs> and the best part is, this stuff was from Francesca's, a store I've never been into because I'm not white or thin. <laughs> I was at their outlet and they had buy one, get three free. Buy one, get two free. So these were free. <laughs> You're like, listen. It had to be done. It had to be done. I have an even more obnoxious hat than the one that I wore at Witchfest. Fabulous. It's a bigger hat. So I'm going to be honest, talking about well-adjusted, I've read all of the Sarah J. Moss uh, Aquatar books in three weeks. That checks. That's, that's not adjust. That's not adjusted. No, it's that's fine. That's a problem. Um, I built a rose gold floating shelf that's in the shape of a heart. Oh, I see it. I'm going to yeah, need you to do like a, a picture yeah. haul and then pictures of your shelf for the Instagram. Yeah, right there. It's rose gold and it floats. Um, so this is what I've been doing with my spare time as I grapple with uh, my finite lifespan and the fact that I am older. This is what I've been doing. I mean, for crying out loud, for your birthday, I got you slippers. So I'm wearing them right now. I love them. <laughs> I was like, it sounds awful, but I think I think Amanda needs a comfort. I am literally in a baggy dress and slippers, like just a very exacerbated witch. I'm Baba Yaga, but instead of being like a badass woman, just a tired existential millennial. Just leave me alone in the forest. My house will take me where I need to go. Exactly. Just, I don't want to talk to anyone. Go away. I don't. I have sweets left over from my birthday that I have every intention of eating later. I mean, I can't talk crap. We, like I was telling Amanda, my family is now evidently Midwestern because we were going to the castle. So we have a giant key lime pie in the fridge now. I feel like Tennessee Williams would like that. Which brings us to uh, recovering the Lady of Larks Berlotion uh, for my birth month. Because as for mentioned, well-adjusted person. Who who in this the one-act play is adjusted? Uh, I mean, technically the landlord, but that doesn't bring me any joy to say. And even then... Uh, I've, I have, apropos of nothing, decided that my birth month this year is going to be a one-act play month, because when I was in PSIA, when I was younger, I was in a one-act play where I received a standing ovation for doing literally nothing, which is the most Amanda story that has ever existed. Have I don't think I've told you about this. No, I was just sitting there going, this this is very on brand, but now I need to know. So in PSIA, in like my seventh or eighth grade year, I was in a one-act play with my theater instructor, instructor who thought that my weird like To Kill a Mockingbird fan fiction was good, which yes, I wrote To Kill a Mockingbird fan fiction because I don't have daddy issues and I'm fine. Um, and I 
got like a walk-on role where my job was just to walk across the stage. And I did that. And at judging, I got a standing ovation because apparently that's the hardest thing to do is to look natural while walking on stage. Really? Mm-hmm. Good to know. So, yeah, I literally got a standing ovation for doing fucking nothing, which is my life in a nutshell. Uh, would you ever talk about the Lady of Larks promotion? It's it's kind of sad. It's kind of really sad. It is really sad. Uh, this is also the shortest short story long I've ever written. Yeah, and I think it's still longer than the play somehow. Yeah, it's it's also it's your birthday present because it's not a whole page long. I I I appreciate it. We're in and out today because we're old and we're tired, and it's the end of the month, and we have episodes that we need to do. Because <laughs> neither of us know what a break is. No, no. What is a break? No. Last night, um, one of my former coworkers and and good friends came over because Mark was helping him fix his computer, and I was in a Zoom meeting, and he goes, "What?" I thought she she quit property management. Who is she working with right now? And Mark just looks exasperated and goes, oh no, this is one of her hobbies. Because evidently I've committed myself now to writing a book uh, with some people. So <laughs> what's up, heathen community? We're coming for your mental health. Anyhow. I love how exasperated Mark sounds and for whatever reason like that, but like an attack to me like I was there. <laughs> he knows it's not your fault. Well, no, because like that's also me where it's like me and my hobbies. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I might be starting a third podcast. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm proud of you. Thank you for giving me more to listen to. <laughs> Yee. Because I, I don't listen to our podcast because I don't want to hear my own voice. <laughs> I listen to our podcast regularly. I regularly listen to our own podcast. I still think the Ethan From episode is the funniest. Just our breakdown over how awful this book is and how much we hate Edith Wharton. I just remember, well, I don't remember all of it, but how drunk we were for Beowulf. and I remember how drunk we were for Beowulf. I remember... The terrifying spider from uh, the Telltale Heart. The spider friend that disappeared and we never saw again. Yeah. I remember the spider from the Telltale Heart. I remember how just like, uh, just aggressively drunk we were for Beowulf. Just incoherently drunk for Beowulf. Like not even talking about the book. Not making sense. Just Just ranting. Right. Just ranting and screaming into goblets. Um... (laughs) Making fun of Crispin Glover, which is just making fun of Crispin Glover for like an hour and a half. Um, All right. Do you want me to short story long this? Yeah, let's short story long so we can actually talk about this one act play because Tennessee Williams has some feelings. So Mrs. Hardwick Moore is a tenant of a New Orleans flop house. We're already starting off strong. Doing she great. She has a bottle of Larkspur lotion on her counter, which she claims she uses to take off nail polish. So just for those of you at home who have never heard of Larkspur lotion, because I know I hadn't, what it's used for is to kill lice, particularly mm-hmm. to kill pubic lice. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Mrs. Wire, her landlord, knocks on the door and Mrs. Hardwick Moore decides she's going to complain about the sheer number of cockroaches in, in her place. And she says they fly and she wants them taking care of ASAP. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Wire is not having any of this crap because she's like, I'm not going to get rid of these cockroaches until you pay your rent. Mrs. Hardwick Moore says, uh, no, I'll pay you when you take care of the cockroaches. Mrs. Wire says she'll kick her out. Mrs. Um, Hardwick Moore says she's not, she's just waiting on money from her family's rubber f- uh, plantation in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start to argue and a character known only as the writer enters to try and defend Mrs. Hardwick Moore. Mrs. Wire says Mrs. Hardwick Moore and the writer are both entirely delusional as the writer has claimed to have written a 780 page novel he's been working on for 20 years. Mrs. Wire asks Ms. Hardwick Moore a series of questions and the reader or the audience pretty much figure out that she has no idea where Brazil actually is, bringing into doubt the actual existence of a uh, rubber plantation anywhere. The end. 
Everybody's unhappy. Everyone is sad. No one knows what's going on. I read this when I was in college. So, one of the things I find really interesting is this was written in 1941. I did very little research. I apologize. Um, but it's very similar. Mrs. Hardwick Moore feels very much like Blanche Dubois, um, yes. which was later in A Streetcar Named Desire. Like, yes. it feels like the very beginning of... I need somebody who has these delusions of grandeur and such a tenuous grasp on reality that any small thing is going to set her over the edge. A lot of people, so we'll talk about this probably more TBH now because this is a one-act play. A lot of Tennessee Williams' works do all run together after a certain point because about now is when he's like quote-unquote hitting his stride. Because, yeah, you can really start to see, like, the footing of A Streetcar Named Desire in here. TBH, you can see a lot of the glass menagerie in here as well. Like, you can see a lot of Tennessee Williams' greatest hits of trauma in, you know, The Lady of Larkspur Lotion and a lot of his other one-act plays. Um, if you have an excessive amount of free time and you hate yourself, Tennessee Williams has a fuck ton of one-act plays. Um, all of them in varying levels of quality because like at this stage I can't say Lady of Larkspur Lotion is good it's like an hour maybe if you really take your time on those lines it's 30 minutes to an hour it's an intimate scene study I've seen theaters do it with two boxes and a dim light <laughs> so one of the things that I find really fascinating about this is that mm -hmm. Mrs. Hardwick Morris definitely a sex worker definitely mm -hmm. a sex worker mm -hmm. um and that's kind of one of the reasons that we have all these things like larkspur lotion and mm -hmm. uh, miss wire complaining about like i hear people in here all night i know what's going on mm -hmm. and miss hardwick Moore being like no i've never done anything wrong in my whole life like mona lisa safferstein from uh parks and rec like <laughs> right and and that it's still played with like no sympathy because to me, it's like, if someone who's like the age of my grandmother is still having to do sex work, I feel bad for this person. I mean, not now in modern context, because like now she's probably just like enjoying herself. But like in the context, in the context of the book, of the play, of the leaflet. The pamphlet. Yeah, it's, it's basically a pamphlet. Like it's... it's you can find 15 minute versions of this on YouTube from yeah. college groups. Like it's Yeah, it's a thin wisp of a of a thing. But in the context of the story, that is something to be pitied. That is something to be lauded. And funny that we mentioned that. My aunts and I at brunch, hilariously, somehow got on the topic of sex work. And my aunts are like, I can't believe that people do this. And I had to be the one who is pro-sex work. Be like, nah, these let these people make money. And like, have you ever participated in this? I'm like, yeah, I have. I have supported sex workers. And my aunts at brunch just horrified and terrified. And it's like, I don't think that this is radical or weird, which makes me aware that it's radical and weird. Because I don't think this is a big deal. I don't have any issue saying, yes, I have supported sex workers. It's just a thing. It's another job. It's the oldest profession. The heart, see, and the funny thing is coming from the arena where I work with um, stuff to fight human trafficking, mm -hmm. we have no problem with legitimate sex work where it's somebody's choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You do you, boo. Like, if that's what, how you mm -hmm. want to make money and that's what you're comfortable with, mm -hmm. go for it. Mm -hmm. Where we draw the line is when you are forcing a 14-year-old to have sex with people for money. Yeah, I am by no means advocating yeah, for that. I know. I, I totally know. I, I know I, you. Um, <laughs> it's If it's a choice mm -hmm. and it's something you want to do. Yeah, be free. I mean, people sell their underwear and pictures of their feet on the internet. And that's technically sex work, too. It is. It is. And it blows my mind that we still have this stigma about these things. And with that stigma means that people can't talk about the actual issues that exist in this world. Like, like dancers are still assaulted regularly. Mm -hmm. Prostitutes are still raped. 
Like, and because it's treated as a crime and it's treated as, you know, oh, these people are other, that's why crimes against them just basically get pushed into the background. Mm -hmm. I don't advocate for law and order SVU very often, but in some of the ways that law and order SVU talks about that stuff, especially in some of like the mid seasons where, yeah, there's lots of crimes against sex workers on the streets and you can see in SVU how society starts thinking differently about these people. That they go from being this, this is not the word I intend, but it's the first word that came to mind. Like a societal punching bag. Like they're a joke. There's a lot of them that are drag queens or are trans women. And, you know, they get a lot of joy out of like, oh, look at that one. He says she's a woman to now where there is almost no focus on them being like having some kind of agency and it's all oh this woman's a sex worker clearly she's a victim of human trafficking which i do not mean to dismiss but there's no nuanced conversation it's either full infantilization of every sex worker is a victim is traumatized is in human trafficking or look at this man in a cheap negligee and we get to make fun of them when bad things happen to them. Like there's not, there hasn't been a nuanced take about this very real thing with very real implications. And I didn't think I was frustrated by that, but turns out I am. Well, I mean, we live in a country where, um, where women and those who present as women and, I see it all. It's the same thing. Um, don't even have the agency to choose their own health care. Mm -hmm. So it's talking about infantilizing. Um, it's there's very much that whole like whore nun concept of like yeah. you're either a leftist whore who loves sex and killing babies, or you're this innocent housewife. Like it's it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because I'm like, you want, I mean, like, I personally think that women should be able to make choices if their body is going to, like, be the one that carries something for nine months and could possibly kill them. Like, I mean, there's the whole concept of, you know, the movie Alien is that something is living in your body. Like, come on. Come on, like, dude, there's where's I the disconnect love, here? I love that you're talking to someone with endometriosis and a retroverted uterus, and your reference is aliens. I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, like, there's not a nuanced conversation about any of this. And I remember, like, so fun fact I'm one of those edgy white men that really liked Bojack Horseman too much, but I'm a black woman, which means I get away with it. I love how this is the only stuff you can get away with with being a black woman. It really, like, it's really the only nice thing about being a black woman is the occasional, like, benign exoticism and that I am not, and, and that I am not weird by liking things that if, like, a cis white man was really into, I would never speak to him. Like, if I ever went on a date with some cis white guy who's like, oh, yeah, I love Bojack Horseman. It's so deep. I'd be like, fuck you. And I love Bojack Horseman. I probably love Bojack Horseman a little too much. But if I ever went on a date with someone who's like, oh, I think Bojack is so deep, I'd be like, later. I need, I need to I need to put my food in a box. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta wrap this shit up. Same with World War II, where I was sitting at my job, and for whatever reason, some of the guys are talking about World War II, and I'm just, like, sitting there, like, vibrating it's like must not reveal hand because they're gonna think you're fucking weird but they're so wrong <laughs> i was telling my husband last night and i had to justify this whole conversation i was like i remember being like 15 and being best friends with a 40 year old white straight man and he looks at me and i'm like listen it was we were friends online it was innocent he saw me more like his uh his young protege or whatever there was nothing sexual going on and like realizing i had to do this whole thing and then i'd be like but anyway he introduced me to the history of the borgias and mark just looking at me like i i don't even know what what is happening anymore like 
Do I still have the book that he sent me on the Borges on my bookshelf? I do. Yes. Like, it's... I don't... I, I thank God every day that I wasn't born a white man. Um, because... I would be so weird and not in a way that's quirky. There's a, the take video on the quirky African-American friend. And I hate that trope because I'm increasingly realizing that it's me. I never knew I hated that trope because of that. I hate it because it's me. Um, Because I don't think of myself as a quirky person. And then I list off all of my very, very weird interests and I realized that I am someone's weird chocolate manic pixie dream girl. I mean, I just see you as my friend, but okay. Well, yeah, but you're also not a cis white man. No, I'm not. Thank you. River, she's right. here to defend my honor. Yeah, are you here? You're here to defend Amanda's honor. Yeah. But I, I, I thank God every day that I wasn't born a white man because I would be so profoundly weird. I would be so, I would absolutely be that guy who has like too many swords, wears a fedora and like a Hawaiian shirt and shorts, but then like socks with slides. Mark doesn't understand why I won't let him wear fedoras or trilbies. When we first started dating, he had a trilby and I went. You're not wearing this. Listen, I like you a lot, but if you wear that out in public, we're not, we're not seeing each other. I came back, he had thrown them all out. <laughs> But that's that's good. You taught him because yeah. If I ever go to your house and your husband is wearing a trilby or a fedora, I'm knocking it off of his head and I'm dragging you into the car because I'm assuming you're in danger. <laughs> Fair. Like I'm I'm knocking it off his head, like I'm in a Shakespearean play, and I'm dragging you into Prius. Blink twice if you need help. Right. Like I'm assuming something's wrong. Like you would never date a man like this. You'd never be with a man like this. <laughs> I mean, I called that my uh, late teens. Where I would also, yeah, I'd also call that yeah. my late teens. But um, so this do you want to talk about? Man. Do you want to talk about the fact that the writer is just Tennessee Williams? I mean, yeah, pretty much. And I love the that? fact that the entire time it's a. Uh, how delusional the writer is, even though he, he's coming in here and he's like trying to be white nighty and be like listen, you should fix the cockroach issue and be kind. And, you know, she says what she says. She means it, this whole thing. And it's like, dude, you supposedly have a 780-page novel in your drawer that you've been Let working on for 20 years. Let him live. Let him live. And, like, I don't know. That was the part that I always, like, really, really associated it to. Because, fun fact, when I read this, I was in college. I think I was down another parent, so my mother had passed away. Um, so the idea of someone who's just like delusional and trying their best wrapped in rags, like fucking Grizabella, the glamour cat, that was me. Yes. I'm sorry. Did you just make a cat's reference? I make lots of cat's references and no one's caught on. It's amazing. <laughs> I make lots of cats references and no one has caught on yet. It's 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 absolutely wonderful. I'm afraid of that musical. Well, Only don't. because it was on TV for five seconds. We saw the McCavity is not there and I was like, nope, I'm out. Well, don't watch the one with Jason Derulo, a sentence that still blows my mind to this day. Taylor Swift and Jason Derulo. I haven't seen that. Don't watch that one because they make McCavity Idris Elba colored and it just feels very racist. Like none of the other cats are flesh tone, but Idris Elba. I don't even know how to deal with that. Yeah, he's he's flesh colored. He's Idris Elba color. And it's just like, bruh. Also, uh, but yeah, I make a lot of cats references. Um, I think, I think you have to put cats into the context of it's Andrew Lloyd Webber who did like Phantom of the Opera and Jesus and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Like this is Andrew What's Lloyd Webber. Dreamcoat. Just in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yes. 
He did a Jesus one too. Oh wait, no, that's part Jesus of Jesus Christ Superstar. Superstar. There you go. Sorry, I was conflating the two. Whatever. The two gay Christian ones. Also, what is it? Starlight Express? He did Starlight Express. Like, you have to look at cats. Like, it's Andrew. This was his passion project. This was him. Like, so okay, I'll make this a Disney analogy. Do you remember Hercules? Yep. Do you remember the movie that those directors made right after Hercules? No. Good. Because it's Treasure Planet. That was the I movie they Treasure always Planet. that is the movie they always wanted to make. And they never got to make it until they finished Hercules. The same thing with like Lilo and Stitch, though. That was a basement project. That was a no, no, no. You're going to make these other movies. Yeah. We well, and not even a basement project. Like, this was the movie they always wanted to make. This was their dream project. And Disney is like, but money. Uh, but that was cats for Andrew Lloyd Webber is that he always liked T.S. Eliot's uh, Uncle Tom poems. He always loved those. Uh, T.S. Eliot's widow never wanted there to be anything based off of it. Amblin was supposed to do an animated cats. Which would have been amazing. Let Amblin do it. Because it just would have been like an American tale. Let fucking Amblin do it. But they looked at T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot's widow looked at Andrew Lloyd Webber and is like, that one. And there's some amazing interviews of him rationalizing cats. And like, he clearly has a deep understanding of the lore and of the poems. And Everyone around him is just like, I don't understand this. And Andrew Lloyd Webber just like, huh? How much cocaine was involved? Oh, uh, a lot. More, I would say about the same as Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Oh. I would argue that is on par with Fritz the Cat and Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings and cocaine level. Wow, Fritz the Cat. That's not Fritz that's not the a Cat. I've heard in a long time. I saw there was a there was a clip of Fritz the Cat on Twitter, and it's like you guys aren't ready to discover Ralph Bakshi. You guys aren't ready to discuss Ralph Bakshi. Okay, so because we threw in the Lord of the Rings, have you seen the trailer for the uh, show that they're they're making on Amazon Prime? With the M and M's Saruman, I feel no joy. Or Sauron, sorry, M and M Sauron. The the amount of people who have made Eight Mile references and entire songs about it at this point is just beautiful. Thank you, San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> uh, everyone, just go watch Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Ring. It came out before the Rankin and Bass one. It's all rotoscoped. It's eighty percent cocaine. Every copy that you get is just covered in cocaine dust. Um, the rotoscoping is horrible. His Balrog looks like a child's toy. Um, but it's very charming in a weird way. And with every copy, if you shake the DVD cover, just you get a little pile of cocaine. Free cocaine with every purchase? Free cocaine with every purchase. Because it's the only way you can watch it. It's like two hours long. And it's animated, but it's like half rotoscoped and it's weird. We're not talking about the Lady of Larks for lotion. Mm -mm. Uh, we never do that. Uh, so do we want to talk about um, one landlords or two uh, delusions as we are both continuing to live in one as we are women living in an America that doesn't think that women need rights? Let's talk about delusions to keep ourselves functioning. I can't tell if you're laughing or crying, and that's part of the problem. Of it's a little bit of both. Oh my god. Everyone in here has some sort of delusion that they use to keep themselves going. Yeah, like, and yes, go ahead. Like, we have a woman who believes that her family is going to be sending money from their pl their uh, rubber plant in Brazil. Mm -hmm. We have a man who thinks he's going to become a published writer, and we have a landlord who thinks she's actually going to get paid me all the time uh and that's such a common thing with tennessee williams's work um it's also 
something that you see a lot just in like southern women is we're all just living on a wing in a prayer we're doing we our all, best we are all grizabella the glamour cat i feel like you need to make a shirt now we're all grizabella the glamour cat we are like we we're all just like so sad and we're all just like former husks of ourselves and we're all just trying so hard all of us are and society just beats you down and i guess a rape allegory happens to you and mccavity i don't know don't ask anyone i don't want to think about it i don't want to be part of the cocaine cats pile like we're <laughs> yeah um depending on which uh depending on which version you see there are some like very, very not great allegories about why Grizabella's out on the streets. And it's like, oh, okay, awesome. This cat's a victim. I do uh, appreciate that. So I, I'm because I am that I am that person. I'm reading uh, Women Who Run with the Wolves. There's the whole concept, and we probably have talked about this on here before. Um, the whole concept of how every woman has to go through their bluebeard period where we're sweet and it's kind of this, the Persephone thing too. We're sweet and innocent and kind. And then we are taken in by a man that everybody's like, danger, danger, stay away. And we're like, no, I could love him and fix him. And then we're like angry and we discover who we are afterwards. And I'm like, first so I of almost, all, I almost bought that book. But then I added more books to my wish list. Victoria, would you like to hear the first, the last three books I added to my wish list? Yes. The Fires of Lust, Sex in the Middle Ages, The Corrupter of Boys, Sodomy, Scandal, and the Medieval Clergy, The Shape of Sex, Non-Binary Gender from Genesis to the Renaissance. Yeah, all of this tracks. This is all very on brand for you. Those are the last three books I added to my wish list and uh, I wanted a Kanye West album on vinyl because the Kanye West brain rot is real. So the text message I got from Amanda yesterday was how many Kanye West songs can you listen to in a row before it's a cry for help? And I said more, any more than three. And then I said, wait, are we talking about Kanye West from 10 years ago? Because you can kind of get away with that. Or is it the modern ones? And I just got back the concern still stands. <laughs> Listen, I watched a two hour long documentary about Kanye West and I went from not caring about him to all to like full Friedrich Nietzsche. I understand you and seeing so much of myself in him. See, I can't even give you crap because I was like putting myself to sleep with like emotional trauma from Hozier. So like... <laughs> I went from being one of the jeering, hooting masses laughing at the albatross. Yes, it is a Charles Baudelaire reference. It's my birth month. Deal with it. To just immediately, like Nietzsche, wrapping myself around this horse who's been whipped, saying, I understand you. This is why we're friends. You know this, right? Yes. Okay. He's just a <laughs> mentally ill man. And he's cried out for help so many times. And he's a mentally ill black man. Lord I should knows clarify that we're not friends because of the Kanye thing. We're friends because of how your brain works. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, I didn't pause about that until you said something. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, thank you for the clarification. I didn't think it was because of Kanye. Um, <laughs> I just need to clarify for the listeners. I was like, he's obviously such a mentally ill man, and we keep poking him, we keep poking him, we keep poking him, and then he does something crazy, and everyone's like, oh, he's mentally ill! It's like, yeah, he fucking said so! Multiple times! He's been crying out for help since his first album, <laughs> and no one's listened. But y'all were like, Gold Digger is a bop. Yeah, but y'all are like, yeah, I really like that Jesus Walks. That's fun. I wonder if this guy has any unresolved religious trauma. He has a song on an album that is just titled after his mom called Donda. And it's called Never Abandon Your Family. And it was released right after Kim left him with the kids. And it's just his mom talking about how 
his grandfather said, never abandon your family. And the lyrics say, I'm losing my family over and over again. But yeah, he's crazy and unhinged. Do you hear River agree with you? <laughs> yeah, thank you, River. She's like, get him. <laughs> I feel so bad for Kanye West and not in the way that he deserves to be forgiven for the horrible things he's done. But like, if you take him out of that context of being a celebrity, he just reminds me of me when I was in high school, making a stop motion animated video about something horrible happening to my ex's new boyfriend or girlfriend is absolutely something I would have done in high school. For some reason, I'll, it's going to be another Parks and Recs reference. All I can think of is Ben going, could a depressed person make this with his stop yes. motion video? <laughs> yes. But I really, I put the uh, the album from 2018, uh, Yay, on vinyl on my wish list. And the cover of the album is, I hate being bipolar. It's awesome. And I've never been cut by something more. <laughs> But to tie Kanye into this, the delusions we use to keep going. And when they break, it's devastating. It's especially now I found almost like after Roe v. Wade that it hasn't impacted every part of my life, even though it has. Because we have, yes. to survive in the United States, we have to have cognitive dissonance. Yeah, it, you have to. You have to. Um, I worked downtown for many years and in Travis Park, there was a statue of a Confederate that said, lest we forget our Confederate dead. And I walked under that statue every day and didn't really think about it. I knew it was there. I read the inscription every day. But I didn't think about it until the city took it down after Charlottesville. Um... And people complained because it's about our heritage, quote unquote, it's, it's heritage, the heritage of racism. Um, and then it wasn't there. And I remember just like feeling lighter, but I didn't know why. It's because I had distanced myself from the fact that it was 20 whatever current year. And I had been walking past a statue, leaving my corporate professional job as an educated queer black woman that I was walking past a statue that glorified a world where I was either dead or in bondage or both dead and in bondage. We need those lies to keep us going sometimes. And I think the only thing that a lady of Larkspur lotion does well is show us when it goes too far, when you still aren't driven to action. And I think that's where I am hopeful, but also afraid with the current state of America is that I feel like we've already reverted back to just rolling with the punches because we have to. Many of us are not in a position of luxury that we can afford an arrest because we went to a protest. Many of us are not in a position of power or luxury that we can afford to stamp our feet and to be louder because I know I can't go to prison right now. And I feel like we're going back and pretending it's not there and ignoring it, like Parable of the Sower, a book that I'll keep pointing to over Handmaid's Tale, because more people need to read Parable of the Sower and less people need to read Handmaid's Tale. Excuse me. But we also still need those lies, because if I had to think about it, I don't think I'd get out of bed. The weirdest thing about for me when Roe v. Wade was overturned is I was at a fucking beauty pageant. I was assisting with young women that I know go out into the community every day and volunteer and work and are had just finished doing an entire thing about how they were proud to be an American. 
And then Literally that came out. Literally, don't know who I'm free. Sorry. And I went back to my room that night and I sobbed for two hours. And I just no. remember being like, before this happened today, you know, I was very hopeful. I was very mm -hmm. hopeful. And I was like, you know, we might be going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll get this codified. It's going to be okay. And then it mm -hmm. was... And, and that's something that I've, I've heard from a lot of queer people as well about the whole vote this past week with the House of like whether or not to codify gay marriage and mm -hmm. um, interracial marriage and have that be there as a fundamental right. And people being like, I appreciate you trying to virtue signal, but it's insulting that this is still a question of whether or not my marriage is valid. Yeah, it really is. Like it, it absolutely is. It is. And, you know, I agree. Like, I think that's always been the problem is that this is still a debate. I know I say this every episode, but there's something about, you know, I'm not going to say conservative, but right leaning people, because I, I'm trying to be more sensitive to the hashtag, not all, you know, conservatives, sure, whatever, pop off. I guess some of you aren't fascists. Um, that was cutting. Uh, but, you know, oh, why won't you debate me? Why won't you debate me on the trans question? Because it's not a question. You debate on things that have multiple outcomes. And your outcome is denying personhood to women, people of color, and trans people. And that's not a question. You're wrong. <laughs> Because I see that all the time. I mean, I live on Twitter. Twitter is my house. I see that all the time. Why don't you debate me on bathroom bills? There's nothing to debate. You are incorrect. <laughs> There's not a debate here. Um, yeah, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I am more terrified of a white cis man walking into a woman's restroom than a trans woman. You know Why? Because the trans woman isn't coming in there to beat the shit out of me or rape me. Yeah, I've said this like a few times where it's like the person I'm most afraid of is a cis straight white man. And that always gets like a huge reaction out of people. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. It's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of people wearing, you know, religious headwear. I'm not afraid of people of color. I'm not afraid of the mentally ill. I'm afraid of a kid that looks like Kyle Rittenhouse. That's who scares me. That's the person who's most likely to do me harm. Not someone wearing a hijab. Yeah, it's Brock Turner. It's not the young lady at the grocery store with a hijab who's just shopping. And, and that's something that even the FBI, the CIA, and all these different organizations have said to Homeland Security is we very quickly moved away from being afraid of hate groups in the early 2000s to being afraid of Muslims and Islam and all that because of 9-11 attacks. Mm -hmm. But when that happened and that focus was taken away from different white hate groups, mm -hmm. their power went way up. And then we have things like, I can't remember, it's something Europa, um, all these different organizations that came up and then we got things like Charlottesville and mm -hmm. they stopped saying the, uh, the quiet part quiet. They started saying it out loud um, because no one was coming after them anymore. And yeah. it's so easy to get a weapon in Texas. It's so easy. It's ridiculous. It is. It is. It is. Um, the one good thing about criminal minds. What is the scariest person according to criminal minds? A white man between the ages of 24 and 54. 25 and 54. That is the scariest villain, according to Criminal Minds, as a white man with too much time on their hands. And here's the thing. Amanda and I aren't here to be like, white men are terrible. And I am. Like, okay. But I'm just saying, we, we know that it's not all white men, okay? Yes. We're very well versed in that. We understand, yes. okay? Yes. Um, it's just like, not every person that I went to high school with is a good human being. You know, there are some people who are really great human beings that I didn't know in high school. 
but there are some really, really terrible human beings that still went to the same place. And those are the ones that we're still afraid of. Yeah. But that's a little bit about delusions and where our current headspace is. Uh, please note, neither of us are doing well. Uh, landlords are trash, aren't they? And they've been trash for a really long time, huh? This And this is the funny thing is, is reading this as something written in 1941 is... There is literally a cockroach infestation. And okay, here's the thing. We live in the South. We understand. Amanda and I have both had to deal with the cockroaches. Okay. We have. They live in the garage. It gets too mm -hmm. hot. They come into the house and they try to do whatever. I they have do cats. fly. They go into the garage and try to eat them and bring them in to show me that they've killed them. And then sometimes yes. they're still alive. It's part of living in the South. Mm -hmm. However... If your house is overrun with them or your apartment is overrun with them and the, the landlord refuses to do a damn thing about it, mm -hmm. that's a violation of your rights. It is. It is. And, you know, we associate that with the individual. Oh, it's poverty. Oh, it's because of the squalid conditions you've lived in. Tori, you've been in my home. Have you oh, ever considered my nice. home? To be yeah. And I've still had roaches because it's usually they're coming in from the outside also yes they do fly here i don't know why i don't know what ecological advantage that is provided to them by fucking flight but it's true i'm dealing with some of that stuff right now with my family where you know we have to go over rent and you know laws that renters have access to that we're not taught as Americans, especially as African-Americans and disenfranchised people, that yes, we do have rights. Yes, landlords and people who rent out do have obligations. And because we don't know those things, many people stay in abjectly terrible conditions. But landlords sure have been doing landlord for way too fucking long. And that's one of those things, too, out here as well. Just something I found out recently. Keeping in mind, I'm 38, almost 38 years old. I, I love how I age myself automatically. Um, if the electric company or your landlord threatens to turn off your electricity and air conditioning during national heat level threats, that is illegal. They cannot turn that off during a national heat wave because it could kill you. Unless so, Greg Abbott takes over your smart thermostat and says you have to be on 85 degrees because his horrible uh, grid that he said he was going to fix. He said he got this. Uh, still doesn't work. Nope. Still doesn't. And that's, that's the beauty of, you know... Uh, <sighs> I love Texas, but Texas exceptionalism is bullshit. Though we have our own grid. We don't need help from anybody else's grid. Oh, a bunch of people died because it was too cold. Oh, a bunch of people died because it was too hot. We don't got this. We don't we've this. Arguably, we've never had this. Uh, did you see the meme that I sent you that recommended uh, ways to stay cool throw Greg Abbott into Lake Travis? Yes. Yes. Like, there, there are reasons, other than wanting to be the next governor, that Beto O'Rourke has been, like, fucking do something. At, like, oh my god. I do appreciate a little bit of Beto uh, cynicism, because I do feel like he has a bit of a Joe Biden vibe, where it's like, unfortunately... Huh? East Bunk Rock Joe Biden? He really is. Like, that it's like, it's this or handy capable trump i'm gonna tell you what i tell mark get out <laughs> it's this or like the skipper barbie version that's suddenly disabled version of trump it's and uh... i i mean i i support beto i think he's great but i think that he definitely gives like at least like in this race like very strong biden vibes that it's like it's this or and i don't like that also i'm gonna say something that's probably unpopular and i think if we were a better edited show we'd probably leave this out i'm getting really tired of eugene from try guys i don't know who that is oh i do know who that is yes, yes you do, yes, you yeah. do. uh so you know he came out as gay a few years ago which frankly shocked no one 
he made it this huge deal. And it's like, oh yeah, we all knew that, honey. We all knew. Um, <laughs> and now he's like, oh, I made this short film about Beto and why Beto is so great for Texas. And it's like, you live in California. You left. You are rich. You could leave. You could leave. <laughs> and you lived in Pflugerville. You were not in, like, abject poverty. You were not, like... I'm not here to say what his experience was, but I'm going to go ahead and say it was Pflugerville. I was like, you didn't live in a tiny town population under 1,000. You weren't in Stephenville. <laughs> you weren't in Lubbock. You weren't in Abilene. You were in Pflugerville. You're right outside Austin. You're a hop, skip, jumping away from Austin. Stop yelling at Texans. Because you're yelling at us and we know. It, it, he kind of reminds me of Aaron Mankey at this stage. It's like you're trying to moralize at the group that's affected. Yell at Zach. Yell at Keith. Yell at Ned. Yell at those men. You yelling at me to vote for Beto isn't helping. I know what I have to do. You have friends that support crypto, which we know is being used to support right-wing and fascist mm -hmm. movements. Oh, you yeah. have friends that don't support unions. You have friends that are doing things that harm people of color and marginalized people. You have friends that are doing this. Yell at them. If you yell at me one more time, we're going to exchange words. And I feel like that's a big culture thing out in the United States as well, though, where it's we don't yell at the people who are causing the problem. We yell at the people who are suffering. Yes, from we problem. have a huge punch up, punch down problem. We have a massive punch up, punch down problem. And just a complete inability to see where you should be punching in general. So it's not even just a punch up, punch down. We're just punching. And we don't know where it's landing. And usually it's people of color and marginalized people that end up getting punched in the fucking face because you keep moralizing at us. We know. Like, oh, when he released his, like, Beto fanfic documentary, it was in San Antonio. Bitch, we know. Yeah. We know who we need to vote for. San Antonio is blue every single time. Austin is blue every single time. Like, you are in a room full of Hispanic people. Do you think that they are any way unsure of what we need to do but continue to yell at us please like you continue you've to yell at us ron in the room okay we're aware yeah. like oh my god and i love eugene i feel like he could do so much good he could but if you keep yelling at people of color i swear to fucking god stop you're no better than anyone else when you do that you're no better than anyone else when you do that. You do the whole Handmaid's Tale thing, which is why I keep telling people to read Parable of the Sower instead. Where now you're just yelling at the people who are most marginalized. Anyways, so that's landlords and they're terrible. Okay, so we've already talked about Uncle Tennessee before, so we're not going to do that. Um, we have talked about Uncle Tennessee before. Yeah, Glass Menagerie episode from a while back. A while we've back. been doing this for a long time. I know it's really weird. Like I, I always feel like this is something that's still new to us. And then I'm like, yeah, we've been doing this for a, a long minute. time. What's happening? Who are we? And we still haven't reached a hundred episodes. I'm shocked by that. I know we're getting close, but we still haven't reached a hundred episodes. At a hundred, we can retire finally. <laughs> is that the goal? Oh, when we yeah. reach one hundred, and I am eight thousand years old. Right, exactly. When we reach hundred, we can finally fucking retire. Just kidding. I don't know what we're doing after hundred. Uh, so, I had to read this in college. I had too much fun, as you can tell, because I'm very well adjusted. I had never even heard of this, and it took me going through the internet for a long time before I realized it was in the book Twenty Seven Wagons Full of Cotton. Or full of wagons full of cotton book. I don't know. Whatever. It it took part of it of me going, whatever, I'll read it tomorrow before Mark goes, you know, it's just in a book, right? And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. 
I love the idea of you being frustrated about finding this. That makes oh. me very happy for some reason. It's so funny when I get mad because I can't find something on the internet. Oh, oh, I am, I am obnoxious. I'm like, well, fine. I didn't need it anyway. Bob's Burgers, Tina. Well, I guess I wasn't meant to have a good life anyway. It's fine. That's. <laughs> I'm either Tina or Linda, depending on the day. Uh, Louise, yes. Is my kid Louise? Yes. Yes. I don't even watch Bob's Burgers, and I can say that. I trained Brianna as a child for her very first cosplay as Louise to go up to somebody and say, I smell fear on you. And it is still my proudest moment as a parent. Tori, do I want this wallet that's shaped like a coffin? I mean, of course you do. Okay. It's vegan leather, which means it's pleather. Don't I mean, you I just feel- love don't you love the gentrification of pleather? Yeah. Yeah. I have pleather pants in the closet. I have several pairs of, pe- of pleather pants in the closet. We're not going to talk about that. I, like, I, I can't wear them because it's Texas, but you know. Yeah, I make great choices and I'm very well adjusted. Don't tell my family. Uh, so, because it's your birthday month, what are we reading next? We're reading No Exit by, Zon- by Jean-Paul Sartre. Another one-act play. Never read it before and I'm interested. You have. You have. I know you have. Or you at least know the most famous quote from it. Hell is other people. Oh, I do know that quote. Okay. I know. It's from No Exit. Tori, you are ready to drag me. You're like, what the fuck is this person saying? Was it going to drag you? I'm not freaking Achilles. Do you know how many Achilles and Patroclus' references I've made since we did that episode? Do you know how many I see on TikTok? There's so many now. It makes me so happy. I am mixed about it, but I I lean towards happiness. Uh, So yeah, we're reading some Sartre. We've read Camus. Sartre is my second favorite existentialist. Um, We've already done Camus, so. Yeah. You know what? I'm lying. I don't think he's my second favorite existentialist. I think... He might be my third. Because that's ignoring Kierkegaard. And I love me some Soren Kierkegaard as a nerd. I just like saying Kierkegaard. I like Kierkegaard, but everyone gets him wrong. Everyone gets Kierkegaard wrong. Because there's some great Kierkegaard in uh, The Killing Joke, a book that has been ruined by white men. And... Everyone stops at the, oh, everyone's just one bad day away. The problem with Kierkegaard is that uh, no one gets to the other part, which is, but we are all saved by God's divine uh, justice because Kierkegaard was really, really heavily religious. So no one gets to that part. They just stop at the shooting people in the vagina. That's where they stay. Because Alan Moore is not intelligent. I'm sorry. I'm still trying to deal with the they stop at shooting in the vagina. Like I, I didn't even close the door for recording today, so I'm really interested in the conversations that I'm going to have when we're done here. You're welcome. I add zest to your life. You I do. I enrich your existence tenfold. Speaking of which, we're having a Halloween party again this year. Fuck yes. So, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, also, it's july um, so <laughs> so we're reading I no bought a halloween tree at costco okay okay that's what it is so we're reading no exit by jean paul sartre uh, it's gonna be a good time it's gonna be another one act play because we're old and tired and we have episodes to release because people give us money for some reason speaking of tori would you like to tell the fine people where they can find us we are all over social media we're at unfortunately required reading on facebook unfortunately rr on twitter unfortunately required on instagram and unfortunately required reading.com and if mm-hmm. you want to email us for some reason, please don't call, email us to yell at us. That's what screaming into the void is for. But our email is unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yes, if you would like to uh, support us financially, you may do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunatelyrequiredreading. Uh, thank you to those of us who decide to give us money. It helps me pay for gold foil 
amethyst slices that keep my wine fresh and iridescent fish bowls that hold my anti-sadness juice. I'm so excited to watch you drink out of that during an episode. So I went to the Mad Hatter, rest in peace, by myself a while ago. And I ordered a fishbowl mimosa about this size. And I remember finishing the end of that fishbowl and just being like the drunkest I had been in a while. And just having to sit there and be like, I'm not okay. I'm going to go walk around the King Williams district for a while. That's literally what I did. Where it's like, I am not good. My aunt, uh, we were talking and she asked, you know, how did your 21st birthday go? Because I was in Austria and she wasn't there. And she's like, you don't have a lot of pictures from that day. And I'm telling her about it. And I'm like, yeah, I had champagne at midnight. I found the one sushi restaurant in Innsbruck, Austria. I drank sake there. And then I had more champagne. And I looked at her. I was really drunk. That's why there's no photos. And my you know what I did? Yes. I went to medieval times with my parents. I would love to go to medieval times with you. Oh, I'm fun. I'm real fun. I don't know where the closest one is. I, I don't know. I don't think there's one in Texas. Yes, there is. There's one back there home. Is? Oh, oh, yeah. I was like, I've only been to the one in Buena Park. Like, bullshit. Yes, there is. There's one in Dallas. I've been to that one. They have a torture museum. They have a torture museum in Buena Park, too. Yeah. It's like, bull and shit. Yes, they do. Do you want to plan a road trip to Dolly Parton Southern Experience? At some point in time, yes. Do you know what it is? Wait, is this the one where they have the Civil War reenactment? Yes. Are you sure you want to do that? I want to go dressed as Calvin Candy from Django Unchained. Oh my god. And I want to sit on the south side. Can I go dressed as the dude who like frees Django just yes. so I can say it's like a reward? Yes. Yes, absolutely. That would confuse so <laughs> you because they hate each other. Oh my god, yes. Please. We have can we have we have King Schultz and Calvin Candy on like a weird gay date. <laughs> to Dolly Parton Southern Experience. Yes. Asking people for a white cake. This is the best day of my life, please. They're on a weird gay date to the medieval times of the Civil War. Dear God, what will we have done? And you know we have to videotape it. Every fucking second. <laughs> <laughs> why are we like this every once in a while i lay in bed and i think i wonder if mark thinks i'm a bad influence <laughs> i mean he's been married to me for almost five years he knows that a lot of this is my fault like i every once in a while i lay in bed being like i wonder if he thinks i'm a bad influence amanda today i walked up to a case of sugar-free red bull and went hello you wait no i'm not doing this i did the whole thing from you and then he just looks at me he goes it's between you and your living god and so now i have a 24 pack of sugar-free red bull i just learned that medieval time serves alcohol yeah oh yeah it's expensive but it's fun can we get please this sounds like the best day of my life can we get drunk please yes can we get, drunk get medieval in- times can we get drunk in medieval times please Part of me wonders if this is why Brendan left me, but yes, yes, <laughs> his life decidedly went in a downhill direction after that. So, uh, so we're going to cover some Sartre next week because we have content to fill because people give us money and uh, I've had a lovely birth month so far, except for the gestures world on fire. <laughs> We're just going to go settle into some cognitive dissonance. We'll be back. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, it is necessary sometimes to keep the heavy yoke of uh, awareness going. I have a shirt that says, I, I exist without my consent in Rainbow. And Amber saw me wearing it for the first time. And she just like, she like holds me out and looks at the shirt. And she's just like, why are you like this? 
I miss her. She's great. We should hang out more. Uh, yeah. So we'll be back next week because we have uh, content to film. Uh, the world is on fire. Please stay safe. Uh, vote for fuck's sake. Vote. Um, Eugene, stop yelling at marginalized people. I know you mean well, but stop it. I know you're not listening, Eugene, but stop yelling at marginalized people. <laughs> are we going to go cry? Or are we just going to go eat a trough of pasta? I'm going to go order Chewy's and eat a trough of nachos. That sounds amazing. I had um, a hot dog from Costco, so. That sounds so nice. Yeah, we're going to go eat and uh, be sad, but also the best thing that we can do right now is live out of spite. And dress up like Owen Candy. <laughs> yeah, and dress up as characters from Django Unchained and go fuck up Dolly Parton's Southern experience. Oh my god. Uh, be safe out there, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye!